Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Murray Williams. In the program this week, as the Rugby World Cup ends its first week, New Zealand's captain, Richie McCaw, was to become the first All Black to play 100 tests. Instead, he's joined three other key players on a thought-provoking injury list before the match against Japan, although the team's doctor is in keep-calm-and-carry-on mode. We'll also hear from Japan's coach and a member of the Samoan team responsible for a massive upset at the 1991 World Cup. New Zealand hockey is to host the most important tournament held here so far. We talked to the Black Sticks men's coach about the Champions Trophy, their last big tournament before next year's Olympic Games in London. And we hear from one of the only remaining New Zealand Olympians from the 1948 London Games who's been honoured at Wellington's Olympic Museum. The Australian influence on New Zealand cricket continues to grow with the appointment of the new national selection manager. One of the Warriors contemplates the prospect of another early exit from the NRL playoffs. And New Zealand Netball's new goal shoot talks about her belated debut for the Silver Ferns. Rugby first though, and after a back strain resulted in an unscheduled rest for first five Dan Carter, Richie McCaw will stay on 99 tests for another week, one more than fullback Mills Moliaina. Leg injuries have ruled both out the day before the match against Japan in Hamilton. McCaw with a minor calf strain in his left leg, and Moliaina with a tight right hamstring. And just to further jangle the nerves of anxious All Black fans, the other fullback, Israel Dagg, has a right abdominal strain. However, Dr Deb Robinson is confident the injuries aren't serious and she's maintained her sense of humour, suggesting that the government might do to the rugby union what it did to the Auckland City Council over the waterfront fan area. We were a bit worried that the government might step in and take over actually, but all of the injuries are minor and it's, it's interesting when they were happening yesterday afternoon, I was like, goodness, these are all pretty minor, but... You know, I guess in the competition that we've got, where we play every week and there are rules about replacements, the last thing we want is a significant muscle injury because they take four to six weeks to settle and we've seen that with obviously the Irish hooker who's got a calf tear. So for us the injuries are minor and we're adopting a conservative approach and the fact that they all improved overnight is really positive. We just don't have many days this week so that's why we've made the decision. We've now got essentially four days until we start training next week, so we feel really positive about getting them in a position where they can train next week. And Dr Robinson says she can't work out why three players went down in one training session. I have thought that through. So I go through all of the factors that we worry about, you know, overload, poor conditions, anything different we've done this week, and really there's nothing. So I think it is just bad luck. They're all different. I think if they were similar, like if they're all lower limb, calf or something like that, you'd begin to worry, but... Well, I couldn't really see any pattern between them. And just to reiterate with Mills, he hasn't got a strain, he's just got tightness. And any of you who've been around um, players who've had hamstring injuries before, sometimes they start with a bit of tightness, and then once you've got a tear, it's, it's all over. Dr Robinson says the injuries weren't evident before the World Cup squad was named and says there's no evidence that the longer super rugby season means there's more wear and tear on players. 
The problem is we just don't have the player numbers to be able to get any real stats out of that. You know, they're blips, and we've had these conversations before around injuries when we've had a whole lot that have been the same, and we've said they're just blips, and they've been proven to do that. What will be interesting over the next few weeks is seeing what happens to other sides. You know, we're already starting to see it. The wear and tear will be considerable, I think, and having a squad that you can manage and having depth in the squad is going to put us in a really good position. And I think we'll see some of the other nations who don't have as much depth, who aren't as lucky as we are, will struggle even more. That's the All Blacks' Dr Deb Robinson. Meanwhile, Japan's coach, the former All Black, John Kerwin, told Mary Wilson it would have been great to be there to see Richie McCaw play his 100th test. So I was really excited for our guys that especially Richie was going to be getting his milestone against our team. So that's disappointing for him. I'm sure he'd be disappointed and probably disrupts their preparation a wee bit, but, you know, they're incredibly strong anyway. So, you know, I'm sure the players that have come in can step up. But How worried do you think they're going to be about it? Oh, I don't think they'll be worried at all. Precautionary, I'd do exactly the same. They've probably tightened up. We've got a couple of guys that we're not risking. James Arledge today was a bit tight, so we didn't risk him. They're like racehorses today, you know. You've got to look after them, put them out in the paddock sometimes. Very temperamental. <laughs> Very sensitive physically. Does it make it more of a match? The All Blacks are really strong right across the board. When you see, oh, Richard McCaw out, oh, who's in? Oh, Jerome Connor. oh, OK, yeah. Nothing changes for us. It's going to be an incredible challenge. You know, as I was saying before, I feel like a kid in Disneyland just about to get on the huge big roller coaster. You know, I'm, uh, I know I'm going to have fun. I know it's going to be great, but uh, also... You know, just a little bit of apprehension as well. So, you know, that's how we sort of feel. And, you know, the All Blacks are pretty strong across the board. So nothing changes for us. Business as usual. Japan has had a pretty dreadful time in the past against the All Blacks. 1995 lost 145 to 17, which I think was something of a record. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) Do you think it's going to be any better on Friday? No, look, our goal is to be the most improved rugby team in the World Cup. We needed to be competitive against France. We can tick that box. Tomorrow is another big challenge for us. We need to make sure that we get out there and just throw everything at the All Blacks, you know, and that's going to be about accuracy and possession. Japanese rugby has improved. We've got a very good competition at home in our top league. You know, we won the Pacific Nations this year. We need to manage tomorrow from a mental point of view and just get out there and and play football. And then, you know, we've got two very, very hard games to finish with Tonga and Canada. So what would be a respectable score? I said to the boys this morning, I'm not actually worried about the score. And I wasn't last week against France. When you get result-driven, you need to be very careful. We're about performance, and I know sometimes you hear it as a cliché. Every player in the sitting room, I don't need to talk to them about winning because we all want to win. We're like that. We're competitive. We want to be the best. But if you make that your focus, then you can get away. For us, it's performance. We play to our potential. We concentrate on the things that we need to do to be competitive. You've got to be accurate against the All Blacks, otherwise they'll punish you. We need possession, otherwise they'll punish us. You know, if we can concentrate on doing our job, we'll be fine. Are the guys freaked out a bit? No, not at all. They're really excited. I was really pleased. We've had a really good week, and we've spoken about the mental build-up, how things will be different. It's the All Blacks in New Zealand. There's flags everywhere, the New Zealand public's into it, there are lots of public support which is fantastic, we're playing on their home ground, we don't need to pretend that it's just another game, because it isn't but just be aware that we need to get to the game at 8 o'clock in a good mental state of mind, so take the atmosphere in and use it as positive energy rather than rabbits in the headlight So the real goal here is a win against either Tonga or Canada it's looking quite strong at the moment, because Japan hasn't had a win at a World Cup before. Yeah, exactly 
Exactly. I think, you know, we were disappointed last week. We let an opportunity go by against France, critical times, 25-21. Tonga will be reeling after losing to Canada, who have really improved under Kieran Crowley. We're all around the same IRB ranking. Tonga's 12, we're 13, and Canada's 15. So they're, they're going to be great football games, and we're going to have to be really on our game to have those sort of upsets. So it's really exciting. It's John Kerwin talking to Mary Wilson, and this is Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Murray Williams. And still with rugby, Samoa is out to make it three from three against Wales at the World Cups, having won in Cardiff in 1991 and 1999. This time they're playing in Hamilton in the former Auckland and all-black loose forward Pat Lamb. Todd Bryany Salden, he still regards the first win in Cardiff as the highlight of his career, which continues as coach of the Blues. Whenever they talk about the Rugby World Cup, Samoa always comes up and there's a, a long-standing joke that was said after the game when we beat them because back then Samoa was known as Western Samoa yeah. and they, uh, some Welshmen said, you know, thank goodness we weren't playing the whole of Samoa. And, but what it did was um, you know, launch Samoan rugby onto the stage. Before that game, Samoa only had an official test match against Wales. After that, all of a sudden, first official test match against the All Blacks Australia came, England, Scotland, all the big nations, France, and that was all from what the boys did in 1991. Do you remember it well? I do, because I'm often asked, what's your highlight of your career? And I always go back to 91 because, you know, we came in there and we were the last team to play. And so there's a lot of tension because in those days, you normally only came together for a test match for three days, three, four days preparation. And so the train two, three weeks out, it was like frustrating watching everyone. So there's a lot of tension. And we ended up going to the Cardiff Castle the night before because there was a lot of friction happening in the team because it was just frustration not getting on. And we had a big bonding session, if you like, talked and everyone got a chance to express what they, what's frustrating them, but more importantly, what are they looking forward to the game. And I came out of there, there's a lot of tears, a lot of hugs, but I came away from there knowing we're going to win this game. And we just went out and gave it all. And what happened afterwards? <laughs> no sleep. I remember we played Sunday. We had Australia on Wednesday. And we, I remember not going to bed at all, massive party. Everyone came back to the hotel. Um, it was you know, hard to get into the hotel and it just partied all night. And a funny thing I remember, the next day we, we stumbled in, into the uh, team room and there was boxes everywhere because we only were given limited gear from the sponsors. All of a sudden, because of the high profile, we ended up getting a lot more gear. And now it's become quite a tradition, the two nations clashing. Yeah, through the 90s, we played them three times. They came to Samoa in 94 and we beat them. And then we played them again in the 99 World Cup when Graham Henry was the coach. Um, that was when the new Millennium Stadium was uh, built. And they'd gone 10 straight games from uh, undefeated. And we beat them 38-31 in that World Cup as well. And we have got something mentally over them. And I think for the boys going in this week and Sunday... With what they did against Australia, and Wales obviously want to get this monkey off their back, the most important thing is to just go out there and, and play. Don't sit back and wait, and that's pretty much what the teams in the past have done. That's Pat Lamb talking to Bryony Salden, and this is Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. One of hockey's biggest tournaments will be held in New Zealand in December, with confirmation that the Men's Champions Trophy will be played at Albany on Auckland's North Shore. India was due to host the event, which meant that the higher-ranked Blacksticks missed out. They were to compete at the 2011 Champions Challenge in Johannesburg in December. But the trip to South Africa's off, because last week the International Hockey Federation confirmed they'd withdrawn the Champions Trophy rights from India because of ongoing governance problems there.
The tournaments for the top eight teams, Australia, the Netherlands, Germany, England, Spain, Korea, New Zealand and Pakistan. And I asked the coach of the seventh-ranked Blacksticks, Shane McLeod, when he first knew there was a chance New Zealand would be hosting such a big international hockey event for the first time. McLeod says India has two boards and the IHF recognises only one, but months of negotiations couldn't resolve the dispute. It got to a point where they were just achieving nothing, so hence they took a few of the tournaments off India, so the uh, Olympic qualifying tournament and also Champions Trophy. And so New Zealand knew a few weeks ago of that possibility and FIH contacted them and, and asked if they were able to put a bid in and it was well considered by Hilary Paul and the board and so on and, and in the end the decision happened maybe got close a week ago and then they have to go through that process and, and it only really came about the last few days so yeah really great news but it takes quite a process. How important was Owen Glenn's contribution in that and at what point did you know that he was going to come on and, and help bankroll it? For quite a while now he's shown a real support in, in hockey and, and growing our game. He's followed both teams around the last two tournaments over in Europe. So it was good to have him involved, seeing how the teams are run. And I think he was quite impressed with Hilary Paul and, and the work that she's doing and also the development of both sides. And, and so he's kind of invested money in, in all of hockey and, and the development of hockey. And there's also been a few other more sponsorship partners. So Spark have come on board, Auckland City Council have come on board and and New Zealand High Performance Centre has come on board and all together they've made this happen. So I think that Owen Glenn is, is a very important part but so are those other people that have, have invested money in it. And what about the capacity of... North Harbour, is it big enough? They'll do some development there. I think it'll be short-term development, but we've hosted a tournament there, the Olympic qualifying tournament, and we've got good turnout. I think in the northern region you, you get the the Auckland and North Harbour, the, the Northland, but you also get the Midlands, and for such a tournament you, you're even getting people from Marlborough and, and Christchurch coming up, taking the week off work and watching such quality games. So I think it'll be maxed out. It's going to be a test. I don't think it's going to be like the Rugby World Cup where the, the trains might not go on time, but it should be a, a real test of the capabilities of New Zealand to host that type of tournament and I think if we do it well and I'm sure we will do it well that it opens up the doors for more tournaments of similar calibre. This is the biggest tournament New Zealand's hosted yet isn't it? Top 8, we're what ranked 7th? How realistic is the chance of us improving on that? on a stage like this, given that it's the last big tournament before the Olympics? I think it's going to be a really important piece for us performing in, in London for two reasons. One is it tests you against um, teams that are in that category already. We've been close of late and, and we've had some good results against some teams seated above us and also hometown advantage. That, that counts for a lot. So we'll be testing our game is one aspect, but also measuring ourselves against some of the improvements I feel that we've made over the last sort of six months. So yeah, it's, it's quite exciting times. I think a, a really good stepping stone. And how do you think the, the overseas teams would look at the facilities? I think they'll be impressed. The stadium at North Harbour equates to anything that you, you will see over in Europe. Probably not the number of fields, but certainly the quality and also the environment. The last time 
uh, North Harbour hosted a tournament. I was extremely impressed with the volunteer base, how efficient it was run. So, you know, in my position as head coach, you get to go to a lot of tournaments and you critique a lot of tournaments. And the last one that was at North Harbour was, was certainly up there with one of the best tournaments that I've seen run. So the volunteers will come out in force. At that time of year, the weather is usually great. It's a fantastic atmosphere. Yeah, I'd be really proud if the New Zealand public gets behind it, not only the hockey community, but also the wider public. It's a fantastic chance to see some of the best teams in the world playing fantastic hockey leading into an Olympic year. Who should we be looking out for? And the Australians, obviously. Who else? Well, Germany's a tough team. They play a very structured style. Of, they're number two in the world and very clinical players. They're very systematic, as you'd expect. Then you have the likes of the Spanish that have a bit of that flair and can be very creative. And then you get the English that are kind of a mix in between, so quite a, a determined sort of side. So there's a lot of variance in the teams that you play, which is also fun to watch. And then you also have the likes of Pakistan, a former great hockey nation. That that's starting to rebuild and do some quite nice things. So it is really a mix, and I think that's part of the attraction of the tournament. The players, have you had a chance to ever talk to them, gauge their reactions to it, and when, when will you have your squad finalised? They're really looking forward to it. For high-performance athletes, the opportunity to play and test yourself against the best in the world is, is all you strive for. So they'll do anything and everything to, to make sure they're at their best and, and they're pretty happy at the moment, as you could imagine. That's the Black Sticks men's coach Shane McLeod and this is Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. One of the only remaining New Zealand Olympians from the 1948 London Games has been honoured at Wellington's Olympic Museum. Swimmer Nari Galloway was one of just seven New Zealand athletes who made the six-week voyage to compete, and Emma Houlihan was at the ceremony. Nari Galloway, who's 85, says she still remembers marching into the Empire Stadium for the opening ceremony in front of more than 85,000 spectators. The stadium in Wembley has since been demolished and rebuilt, but Mrs Galloway says her memories of that day will never be forgotten. She says her training attempts aboard the Port Hobart ship from Auckland to London still make her laugh today. The ship's carpenter made me a little uh, box arrangement. It was not very much bigger than an ordinary bath in your house. (laughs) So all I could do was sort of lie with my elbows over the side and kick. There was nothing else I could do. Mrs Galloway, then Nairi Lane, was the only woman and the only swimmer in the New Zealand team. At 22 years old, she travelled without her coach and manager, who remained in New Zealand and had nowhere to train. She says if it wasn't for the British squad adopting her as part of their training team, she never would have reached the 100-metre semi-finals. I was a, a sort of honorary uh, British member, but they were so good and I made friends with uh, Helen Yates, who swam against me in the 100 backstroke. Helen and I have been friends ever since. She's now 90. Despite not reaching the final in the individual swim, Mrs Galloway won a bronze medal in the Australasian Freestyle Relay Team event. And it seems swimming is a family sport. I've got a granddaughter, she's in the under-10s, and she's the top under-10 swimmer in New Zealand at present. And her times for backstroke are about what mine were when I went home. (laughs) She's just under 10. So methods of training and strokes themselves have changed a great deal in that time, naturally. 
The New Zealand Olympic Committee Secretary General Karen Smith says it's important to recognise the hardships past Olympians faced in order to represent the country. I'm in awe of people like Nairi, and I guess as a female athlete in that era, you know, the travel, the distance, frequently that you know the women were the only female athletes in the team, or certainly the significant minority. So it was very, very brave. Nairi Galloway and weightlifter Maurice Crow are the only remaining New Zealand competitors from the 1948 Olympics. After long-distance runner and team captain Harold Nelson died in July this year. That's Emma Hulahan, who was talking to Olympian Nairi Galloway, and this is Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. The Australian influence on New Zealand cricket continues to grow with the appointment of Kim Littlejohn to the new role of national selection manager. The former Black Caps coach Mark Greatbatch, who was filling the job on an interim basis, missed out to Little John, who's been the high performance manager at Bowls Australia for the last seven years. He's among several other Australians who have leading roles in New Zealand cricket, including former Australia coach John Buchanan, who's the director of cricket, and assistant Black Caps coaches Trent Woodhill and Damian Wright. Little John's first assignment will be to assist Black Caps coach John Wright in selecting the New Zealand side for next month's tour of Zimbabwe. Buchanan says Great Batch has provided invaluable support and expertise, but the selection panel, which also included former Black Caps fast bowler Shane Bond, believes Little John best matches the requirements of the role. Buchanan says Wright's also endorsed the appointment, which he told Stephen Hewson can be looked at in two ways. Maybe it's a Kiwiisation of some Australians. We could look at it that way as well. But irrespective of where individuals come from, whether it be Australia, New Zealand. England, you name it. Really, it's about understanding what the role is and the skills required, and therefore picking the right person. And that's what we've done this time. It's it's a new role. It's certainly not anything like what a traditional selection role is. It requires a person with really good system and process knowledge in a high performance area, a person that's a good communicator, and a person that can liaise very closely with a range of networks. And and so, Kim Littlejohn was certainly the person that. Presented us with the best credentials to do that, despite not having a strong cricket background. Yeah, look, I, I think sufficient cricket background to certainly be able to spend a lot of time with coaches, players, people that have played numerous Test matches for New Zealand. Certainly enough cricket background to have good conversations with them. So I'm, I'm not concerned about that area at all. Where does this leave Mark Greatbatch? My preferred arrangement, and I'm, I'm hoping that he'll. Certainly, wish to be involved in that is the normal sort of handover process. That's what we're talking about at the moment. So, Mark to act as a, a person to introduce him into the networks where we're at with selections in terms of current teams. Do you see any future role with within the management of New Zealand cricket for him? First of all, Kim needs to get his feet on the ground. But in conversations I've had with Mark, and conversations I've had with someone like Glenn Turner. I think they have some wonderful knowledge and experience and skills that we shouldn't lose to New Zealand cricket. Now, exactly how that plays itself out, I'm not sure at the moment, but um, certainly we're, and I'm encouraging that to occur. You, you've had conversations with Glenn Turner as well, have yes, you? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And what was his reaction? He's still keen to be involved. He spent most of his working life in cricket, and he would still love to be involved in some way, shape, or form. But it can't just be an exercise in. in providing some sort of menial role. I think it has to be something that's pretty challenging for those individuals. Whether that 
exists at the moment or whether it exists in the future, that's something that we'll explore over time. Kim's first assignment presumably is working on, on the squad for Zimbabwe. It is, and we've also got um, an Australian tour, uh, which is not far behind that, and then we've got a Hong Kong Sixers uh, group that we're wanting to send away as well. And you know, That's why I'm, I'm very hopeful that Mark will spend some time here in that handover period because he's done some preliminary work with John Wright. What challenges do you think Zimbabwe is going to present? Quite a few. They've really had the luxury of, of uh, some very tough cricket over the last few months. I mean, they've played Australia A, done reasonably well against them. They've obviously done very well against Bangladesh and uh, they're currently involved in a series against Pakistan. So they come into a series against us, match hardened. We obviously have had a a long break. We're structuring a two-week camp here, which uh, is very much about skills work uh, and some game scenarios. It's it's also designed to do some other things, some off-field. Is this the end of the changes of the management type set up within New Zealand cricket from what you've overseen as your your role as director of cricket? I don't envisage anything major on the horizon at the moment, that's for sure. We've got some really good people in place now and with Kim coming on board, I think that really completes the initial phase. Mike Sandal's appointment as team manager, obviously John Wright was was reappointed as, as head coach and then we've got Damien Wright there as bowling coach and Chris Donaldson coming in as a trainer and Paul Close as physio. So we've got a really good team around the Black Caps. On the field, how long before this new structure delivers? We want to deliver right from the word go, which is against Zimbabwe, and then we'd like to deliver against Australia, and then Zimbabwe out here in in January, and then uh, obviously South Africa at the end of the season. So do you have particular goals for test rankings or ODI rankings? I do, and, and when I talk about just tweaking things and our high-performance strategy and playing, that's that's what we're now presenting to a range of people. So that builds in rankings, it builds in percentage wins and so on in Test cricket and ODI cricket and T20 cricket. And what are those end targets? Presumably it's to be the best, and that would be being number one across as many phases well, as possible. It is, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen overnight. It doesn't no. necessarily mean it's going to happen in all forms of the game and we need to work out whether or not we need to firstly address our skills and our ability to apply those skills and then decide whether or not we try to attack every form of the game or we try to actually concentrate uh, our attention on one form of the game, albeit that it means that we don't neglect other forms of the game, but it just means that For instance, we've got a World Cup in in 2015. I would like to think that we enter into that World Cup as a favourite to win it. New Zealand Cricket's Director of Cricket, John Buchanan, talking to Stephen Hewson. And an extended Black Caps training squad is together in Christchurch from Monday to prepare for the Zimbabwe Tour. Two Rugby League now and turning around their worst loss of the NRL season in one week won't be easy for the Warriors, but the players weren't lacking for motivation when we caught up with them ahead of their elimination final in Sydney. Their season's over if they can't beat the Inform West Tigers, but they were lucky to be even playing this week after their embarrassing 40-10 defeat in Brisbane. Richard Wayne found the team doing some extra training in preparation for the big game, including a bit of boxing, and he spoke with forward Jacob Lilliman. Were you involved with the boxing uh, training earlier on? No, 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 I'll probably do a little bit of extra sort of running outside, get a few miles into the legs before Friday night, then come in for that one. It's a few boys doing a few extra things this week with a big game coming up. You need to, I think. 
if you want to be at optimal physical condition, a lot of the boys were in here doing it. And uh, I guess there's no shortage of motivation after <coughs> you, you, you know, you come back from the dead, as it were, survived into the second week, and you know you've got a tough ask coming up against the Tigers and Benji. Yeah, it is a tough ask, but um, you know we're just thankful to to have that shot at redemption. Um, you know, it's obviously not going to be easy, but you know, after what happened on the weekend, you know, it's got the boys primed to, to, to go out there and make amends. Has the coach had a bit of a word with the boys <coughs> about, about the weekend, or have you take that one aside and just focus on this week? He's handled it really well. You know, after the game, there was no blow-ups or anything. He could see the disappointment in our faces. There's no need to harp on about it. Came in yesterday, had a really good video session. It was quite productive and identified some key areas so we'll continue that and hopefully get our preparation spot on. And as a forward I guess forward battle it's always key but um, you guys will probably back yourselves against the Tigers as that's an area you might have a bit of an edge? That's a possibility but you know they've their forwards have really been standing up lately you know they're probably very underrated you know they don't get a lot of the raps that you know other packs do but they're certainly prepared to roll out their sleeves and work hard so um, you know it's obviously another another big challenge and if we can we can do our job, that's yeah, kind of half the battle won, and, and you know get Shawnee and Jimmy into that good field position where they come into their own. What's the individual battle? Who who will you be uh, lining up against? You know they've got Bryce Gibbs up front, Keith Galloway and Gareth Ellis. They're probably their their main go-to guys, and they've got Liam Fulton on an edge who's is quite creative. You know he's not the biggest bloke, but. He can certainly hurt you if you give him enough room. So, mate, they've yeah, got a lot of lot of points of attack, and it's certainly going to be a tough game. Everybody <clears> always <throat> talks about the Tigers' backs, of course. You know, Farrow and, and Marshall, etc. How do you stop those boys, especially Benjamin? You can't really stop them. All you can do is limit their options, and if you can dictate how much ball you give them in good field possession, that cuts them back a fair bit. Now, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe no side outside the top four has lost the first finals where you can come back and take in the title. So a chance to make history here, to turn that on its head. That'd be nice. It'd be a feel-good story anyway, you know, backs against the wall, everyone writing us off and, and come through and go all the way. So, yeah, that'd be that'd be a brilliant story, but I think you've just got to take it one game at a time and, you know, we've got a massive task ahead of us. That's Jacob Lilliman from The Warriors talking to Richard Wayne, and this is Extra Time. She was the most accurate goal shooter in the last Trans-Tasman netball competition, but Catherine Latu's only just made the New Zealand team. Earlier this year, the Northern Mystics goal shoot was ruled ineligible to play for the Silver Ferns at the World Championships in Singapore because she'd previously represented Samoa at the 2007 tournament in Auckland where she was born. 24-year-old Latu, who's one of three newcomers in the squad for next month's two-test series against England, told Stephen Hewson the wait's been worth it, though. It's a huge relief, but... You know, I waited this long, so it makes it feel all a lot better. Does it make up for, for missing out on the, the World Cup? I would have loved to have gone to the World Cup, and the disappointment I felt after being told I couldn't go was something I never want to feel again. So it doesn't make up for it, but it does make all this waiting worth something, so it is a huge relief. Did you think that it would would ever come? Oh, I knew it was coming. It just took a really long time, so along the way, I, you know, I considered giving up a little bit, but then I realised that it's something I've wanted to do since I was so young, so I'm not going to quit just yet, so I'm here now, so it was worth the wait. It got to that point, did it, that you thought, is this all worth it? Yeah, it did, and then I just had to take a long, hard look at um, you know, my goals and stuff, and it was something that I've wanted for so long, and something that I've aspired to 
do since I was young. So, you know, this is the feeling that I've been waiting for. I suppose it must have been made all the tougher by the fact that you performed so well for that World 7 team and that must have been a huge confidence boost for yourself to know that you could compete and play well at that level. That was the initial part of my life where I realised that I might be good enough to play against the best in the world. I always knew I could play and I could catch and I could pass and I could occasionally shoot but I never actually thought maybe I could be there. It was always just a dream, but that was where it started for me. So from then on, I just had to believe in myself a little bit more. How has your game developed over those couple of years since since that playing in that World 7 side? I think the ANZ chance has helped me a lot. It's taught me that you have to change your game a lot, otherwise the game's going to change around you. So I have I have been really lucky to participate in this ANZ chance because it's helped me as a player. What are you looking forward to the most? Just playing that black dress. It's just something I've wanted for so long and I can't believe it's this close. But, um, you know, my next goal is to try and get a starting spot, which I know is going to be a huge battle and isn't going to happen instantly. So my first goal was to make the team. So now my next one is to try and get a starting spot. So And developing on the international stage, how, how have you found coming into the, the Silver Ferns camp? I mean, I know you've had a few training camps, etc. before, but I suppose being there for real this time. Yeah, I've been to a lot of the Silver camps, but I've always known that when I leave the camp, there's no chance of me making the team, and I couldn't take the court. So it was a little bit tough to carry on that way, but I knew that this day would eventually come, and it finally has, so it makes it all seem worth it. That's the new Silver Fern goal shoot, Catherine Latu, talking to Stephen Hewson, and that's the show for this week. Feedback's welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website. Well, we'll be back with the next Web Only Extra Time show next week. For Radio New Zealand Sport, I'm Murray Williams. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.